All right, thank you. I'm so glad that Sheila is a part of our congregation and part of the church as she's studying up at Gordon-Conwell. I went to Gordon-Conwell. Justin went to Gordon-Conwell. Uh, Pastor Rick, if you know him in Burlington, we all went there. And Ting and Sheila are both students right now at Gordon-Conwell. So we're glad you're here, Sheila. And I'm excited. Uh, if you don't know Sheila well, uh, you should get to know Sheila and t- uh, talk to her and see what God's doing in her life and how God is preparing her for ministry you know she's an amazing drummer, right? We all know that if you've ever seen Sheila on the drums. Uh, but God's doing some amazing things in ministry. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Let's try it one more time. Good morning. Good morning. You're all worn out from the heat and humidity. Uh, aren't you glad so often you come into church? And I don't, I don't know why our two like HVAC units here are like jet engines. And if you sit on the side, you just get absolutely frozen out usually in this sanctuary. Uh, but now these are the prime seats right on the side today. Uh, you, got the, you got that nice cool air blowing on you uh, through church. So that's, that's nice. Uh, as Sheila mentioned, we are going to be in Luke chapter 16 in in just a moment. But before we get there, I want to introduce you to someone uh, who's who's here with us that's that's a, a special guest today. And if we don't know each other, let me just say my name's Brian. I'm the pastor here at Mount Hope Belmont. And if you've been around Mount Hope for a while, uh, then you probably know who Chuon uh, Nui is. Chuon, would you just wave your hand here real quick? There's Chuon. Would you welcome Chuon here this morning? Chuon Chuon and his family have attended in Mount Hope in Burlington since the late 30s, it seems like, right? For a long time, for a couple decades at least. Uh, Has it been 20 years that you've been? Yeah, 20 20 plus years that you've been a part of Mount Hope. And uh, and Chuon heads our global outreach team. And if you've been around Mount Hope for a while, if you've taken a look at the cards that are in the back, you know Global Outreach is a a big part of who we are and what we do, partnering with people who are doing work in Boston and around the globe. And uh, we normally talk about things that are happening around the world. I want to talk about something that's happening actually right in our neighborhood. And that is over the past couple of months, uh, some of you have gotten to know one of our true neighbors to the church, just lives a couple blocks away, Amin, who is sitting here next to Chuon, and his wife, Shakira. Would you welcome Amin this morning? He's here. And I know that there's been quite a few people at the church who have gotten to know Amin and Shakira. And I'm just going to give you a couple details. They also have two children, uh, high school-age children, Asma and Ali, right? And uh, their story, and, and I'll let him tell you a little bit more uh, if you meet him after church, but their story is that they are here as refugees uh, from Afghanistan, and they moved into our neighborhood, but that wasn't the first place they moved. They lived on an army base for a little while uh, when they first came to the States. And so, uh, Amin, your family, his family are part of the Hazara uh, people, and uh, it's one of the people that the Taliban persecuted. And, um, and some pretty awful things have happened. And uh, Amin's brother was a translator for the U.S. Army. Um, his wife's cousin, unfortunately, was uh, killed by the Taliban. And so they were able to receive um, this opportunity uh, to come to, to the U.S. And uh, one of the things that, that we've learned, as a number of you have befriended uh, Amin and Shakir and their family, is... Uh, that they had to leave some things behind. As some of you in this room, you know this very real. Uh, You've come from around the world and you've left things behind. Some of you have moved cross country and left things behind. And one of the things that Amin left behind was his business. And if I understand this correctly, for about 10 years, 
uh, you owned and operated your own candy factory. Is that, is that correct? So he owned and operated his own candy factory. And the candy he made is called Sheer Pira. Uh, it's at, it's, we have, the, we have a, a slide up here that shows a picture of the candy. And so all of this to say, after church, when you go in the fellowship hall, uh, when we have coffee and snacks and all those good things, Amina has been kind enough to bring some of this candy here for us to, to try. So you can go and you can meet him and you can sam sample uh, what he has what he is an expert at making. And, uh, and so we get a chance to look forward to that. So thank you so much uh, for being here and being so generous and bringing that uh, to us today. Uh, so we have that to look forward to uh, after the service. You know, as we get into the text this morning, uh, I'm going to read that text in just a moment. I'm going to tell you, I think that this parable that we're going to read of Jesus's today is the most challenging parable to understand. Like for me, this is the one that is the hardest for me to, to understand. I think the point Jesus is making is clear, but the actual narrative itself, the story that he tells for me is, is really, really difficult to understand. You know, we're in a time right now uh, where we're, I feel like every once in a while we go through a period of time where we're reminded uh, how quickly and money can go away and how temporary money is. It kind of feels like we're in one of those times right now. Like for a while, we, we, money seems to be going in a, in a good direction. I mean, just talking economically and, and on the whole and painting with broad strokes. And then things start to happen where markets go down and, and, and prices go up. And the other day, Lori and I were driving and, um, and we, she started kind of laughing to herself. And that usually means, you know, she's laughing at me. But I, I said to her, I said, what, what, are you, what are you giggling about over there? And she said, we just passed a gas station. And I never thought in my life I would think to myself, oh, wow, gas is only $4.49 a gallon. What a deal. I'm like, yeah, I never thought I would think that either. But that does sound kind of like a deal right now. And we're in one of those times where prices are rising and interest rates are rising. And to be quite honest, I, I don't understand how all of this works probably as much as I should. But what I know is it's, this, it's a reminder for all of us, if you check your retirement account balance or whatever, the checking account balance, that, that money is a very temporary thing. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a something that comes and goes very easily. And you're never quite secure with it. And so Jesus comes and what he does in this parable is he actually gives his investment strategy. If you ever wondered, what, what are we supposed to do with money as Christians? And what are we supposed to do when it comes to, to uh, things of this world? Jesus comes and in this parable, he really gives an investment strategy. But I'm going to suggest to you that the text itself and the narrative and how it plays out is really quite uh, confusing, especially when you, when you read it. So in Luke chapter 16, verse 1, this is what Jesus says. He also said to his disciples, this is after he's told, we've done the lost coin, we've done the lost sheep, we did the prodigal sons last week. He also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? 
Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. I don't know how you feel after reading that narrative and that story, but I'll be honest to you, with you, every time I come back to this story, I have to kind of remind myself there's something shocking to me about what happens in this narrative and what is held up as the right way to do things. And I don't know if you felt the same way when you read through it, but let's talk for a minute about what exactly is happening in this story. Jesus tells this parable, and he tells it specifically knowing that religious leaders are listening and that they're lovers of money. Because we see that in verse 14, their reaction is they hear this parable about money and dealing with money. And because they're lovers of money, they ridicule Jesus. They're not happy with it. And so what in this parable is it that they're so unhappy with? Well, we have a manager and he managed the money of a wealthy man. And in that day, if you were rich, I mean, I suppose this happens in this day as well. You hired a manager to manage your household and your funds. And that manager was both CEO and CFO, uh, in a sense, of the family business. And so they had a lot of latitude. What that manager said went. The manager got to decide how debts were handled, how family matters were handled, how business was transacted within the family. And so the wealthy man hires the manager and then the manager, uh, word gets to the wealthy man that this manager is not doing a good job managing his affairs and his finances. And so he goes back to the manager and basically says, you're fired. Now, I don't know if you've ever been fired from a job. I'm not going to make us raise our hands here right now, but, but maybe so you know that feeling, what that feels like when, when so they come to you and they say, hey, it's, this, this isn't working out. And that emotion there, that, that panic that begins to set in, it sets in for this manager. And the manager starts looking around. He said, what am I going to do? 
I've been managing, this is my experience. If my reputation is ruined here as a manager for wealthy people, I'm not going to be able to find another job. And I love the honesty of the description that Jesus gives here. He says to himself, did you catch it? He says to himself, well, I'm too weak to dig and I'm too prideful to beg. And so what in the world am I going to do? And I love that honesty, right? I am too weak to dig and I am too prideful to beg. In fact, uh, you could maybe look around the room and point at someone that you feel fits that description. No, don't do that. I'm just kidding. But I love that description. And so he says, what in the world am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he says, I have an idea. And he calls in these debtors. He says, how much do you owe? And the man says, I owed a hundred. And he says, quick, write down, scratch out that and write 50. And, and then he calls in another man. How much do you owe? He says, well, I, I owe, I'm, I owe a hundred. And he says, well, scratch down, write down 80. And then in verse 8, is to me the most shocking part. The rich man comes back. Wouldn't you think he'd be furious? That the manager, I mean, it's like a, a sale on loans, right? He's slashing prices. And the manager comes back and says, great job. Wow. You did a fantastic job. And as far as we know in the story, the manager gets to keep his job. And then Jesus goes and he turns to the people and he's like, he's like, if you're a follower of me, you should be like this manager. And I think to myself, is Jesus saying, is this what Jesus is saying? Listen, sometimes it's okay to lie, cheat, and steal. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Because that's kind of what it sounds like to me. But I think there's something else that, that's happening here, something that I think is, is difficult to understand. And one of the best explanations that I've been able to find as to what's happening here, and I've, I've heard it now a couple of different places, is that likely what's happening is that people are coming to this wealthy man and they're borrowing money, of course. And so they have a debt. And let's say that their debt is 50 bushels of wheat. What happens then is it's actually illegal for another Jewish person to charge a fellow Jew interest at this time. It's illegal. It's against God's law. And we could go in the Old Testament and we could find that. And so the, they couldn't say, okay, well, he'll have 50 bushels of wheat as your loan and then we'll charge you 10% interest over the next 20 years. They couldn't do that legally. And so what they would do is they would come up with all sorts of hidden fees. And in fact, this is probably how the manager made his income is he would lump in a bunch of fees and he would say, okay, you're borrowing 50 bushels of wheat, but you're going to owe us a hundred. And that extra 50 is probably how the manager got paid and some other payments were made. And it technically, you know, it, 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 it didn't, wasn't necessarily interest on the loan, but it was like the fees. Like when you go to buy a property and they tell you that's a hundred thousand dollars and you sit down and then they're like, well, you know, your final bill is $119,000. You're like, well, what's the extra $19,000? Like, oh, the, the fees and closing costs and all that stuff. Or you go to buy a car and they're like the finder's fee and keys and undercoating and all of those things. And, and, and all of a sudden the actual price of, of what you're trying to get, it skyrockets because of, because of the fees. And that's probably what's happening here. So what the manager does is he goes back to these people and he says, you owed a hundred, but you know what? I'm going to cut my own. I'm going to cut my own earnings out of this. Now just pay the 80 or now just pay the 50. And it probably doesn't cost the rich owner much. In fact, what it does is it actually elevates his status. 
And the manager gives up his own earnings, his own wealth, in order to build a better relationship, not only with the debtors who now for sure are going to come back and borrow from this rich man again, but also the wealthy man himself. For me, that's the, that's the description and the, and the explanation that I've read a few different places that makes the most sense to me. And so Jesus then is not saying, not saying, uh, you know, lie, cheat, and steal. That's not what he's saying to do. Uh, but he is saying, be wise in how you use money to build relationship. And I think there's two things that you and I are supposed to take out of a parable like this. And I realize, I realize that, that uh, not everyone walks into church and, and you're the, uh, listen, you went all out this morning. It's, a, it's about whatever the surface of the sun feels like, that's what it is outside right now. I'm, I'm pretty convinced that's what's happening. And so you, you put up all this energy and everything else to show up here this morning and, and you're hoping for this message of encouragement and hope and inspiration. And then the preacher's going to talk about money and you're like, oh, for Pete's sake, why are we talking about money? There must be some sort of capital campaign going on. There's no capital campaign. There's nothing going on, right? But there is this, this link in scripture over and over and over again between our spiritual well-being and our, and our understanding and use of money. Like you can't get away from it. How we see resources, how we see money, it's intimately tied to our hearts. And because I, we care about our hearts, we have to talk about this and what Jesus says about it. And Jesus, I think, is saying two things to us that we're supposed to remember out of this story. And the first one is this. You, you and I, we are managers of resources that are not our own. You and I are managers of resources that are not our own. In fact, that is something that you see in scripture over and over again. And, you know, I think in some cultures around the world, this is an easy one. Yeah, I'm a manager of things I don't. All the resources I have, all the money I have, those are given to me by God. And, and, and it's his stuff, really. And I'm just here to manage it and steward it well. But there's something about our Western cultures and specifically the American culture that this is really hard for us to grasp. Because we, we have this entrepreneurial, I did it, I went to school, I, came, I, I worked hard at the job, I built the resume, I made the paycheck, like this, that I have done this on my own. When the reality is everything that has been given to us, everything that has been entrusted to us is from God. And no matter how much or little our paycheck says when it comes in, it is a gift from God that we are in charge not of, of managing and treating as if it's not our own, but his, that he's given us to steward well and to manage. And there's something about that I think in our current context and culture is really hard for us to fully appreciate. But I think we have to kind of get back behind what we have that allows us to go out and earn money and be taken care of. I mean, we have life. Hard to have an income when you don't have life. And God gives us life. God gives us skills and talents and ability. He, he is gracious enough to 
put us in certain situations. If I was born in the 11th century on a remote island in the Pacific, probably a different, a different uh, thing would take place when it comes to making money and earning income. And it just looks different in our world. And so when, when I am out there earning and a job and the paycheck comes and it has some company's name in the upper left-hand corner, I think I've done this and they've paid me. But really, when we think about it from the heavenly lens... God has provided. He's given the tools. He's given the ability. He's opened up the opportunity. He's given you the life. He's given you the brain power. He's given you the chance. And now he's blessed you with these resources that you are to steward. Second, like the Old Testament, King David. Maybe you know about David. Even if you're not too familiar with the Bible, you've probably uh, come across David and Goliath. Well, David was also king of Israel and one of the wealthiest men who lived in his time. And there's this moment in the Old Testament. It's in 1 Chronicles 29 where the people are bringing offerings to the Lord. And David, as king, stands up in front of the people and he says these words. He says, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things in your strength, in your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? I love this verse. Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. You look at a person like David and you can say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. All right. David was the one who was out in the field watching sheep. He was the one who learned how to use a sling. He was the one that learned how to defend sheep so that when he stood in front of the giant Goliath, taking a stone and a sling and hitting him in the forehead was like second nature. That was, that was easy for someone that was out in the field picking pigeons out of the air with a sling. And so David learned how to do that. And then he stood in front of Goliath and he, and he did it again. And then he won battle after battle. I mean, he put himself out there. He won battle after battle. He was the greatest warrior of his day. And then finally, he waited for Saul to die and they made him king and he became exceedingly wealthy. There were all sorts of other people that didn't lead people into battle. There were all sorts of other people that could have fought Goliath and they didn't do it. There were all sorts of other people that could have done what David did, but they were lazy and they chose not to. So David has earned this and David says, nope. Anything I have is God's. Like God gave me all of this. And when I give an offering, all I'm doing is taking some of what he has entrusted to me and I'm giving it back to him. And all Jesus reminds us this parable. This is one of the reasons I think the Pharisees were so upset. As lovers of money, the text says. As Jesus is reminding the people, you are just managers and stewards of God's resources. Everything you have is his, and he calls you to manage it well. There's something about us that really doesn't love that idea, but it's true, especially for the follower of Christ. And so then the question becomes, what are we supposed to do with it? I mean, if that is what God calls us to do. And what Jesus says here in this text, I think is so interesting because 
because it's, it's different than many other places in Scripture. He, he, he phrases this differently, what we're supposed to do with our resources, with God's resources. And he says, if you are going to invest well, God's resources that he's given you, invest in eternal relationships. You're a manager of God's resources. That's your job. And as that manager, you know what God wants you to do? He wants you to use those resources to invest in eternal relationships. Everything's temporary in this world, but people are eternal. And Jesus says, look at this manager. Rather than take some money and, and, and try to stow it away for the hardship, he invested in relationship. He actually cost himself something by slashing his own income so that he could build goodwill with the people so that if the manager fired him, he would have a place to go. And Jesus says, look at this. People in this world are really good at leveraging money and resources for their own gain. And they do it to build relationship. Isn't that what business is all about? Business is just about networking and relationship. So much of what happens in business is all about that. And Jesus says, look at this. People in this world are so good at leveraging their resources and their income and their finances and what they have to build relationships so that they can be provided for and get what they want. As my followers, be shrewd is the word he uses. Be wise in using the resources God has given you to invest in people because all the things of this world are temporary, but people are eternal. The real core of what Jesus is saying here is in verses eight and nine. Look again at what he says. For the sons of this world, that means the, the people that, that uh, don't follow Jesus, they're more shrewd in dealing with their own than you are, godly people. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. And it's important to understand that word unrighteous, okay? Unrighteous, it could be translated, if you have the NIV, it's translated worldly. I actually kind of like that translation better because what he's saying is not money that's been gained in a fraudulent way, which I think unrighteous wealth can sound like that. But Jesus is talking about the, the, the word there is mammon. He's talking about the, the things of this world, okay? Money, houses, possessions, those sorts of things. So when he says unrighteous wealth, what he means is be, make friends for yourself by means of your worldly resources so that when your worldly resources fail, which ultimately they will of course do, you, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. That the things of this world are temporary. If you go after the things of this world and use the resources that God has given you only to build yourself up when it comes to the things of this world, you're investing in things that are very temporary. But our entire job as the manager of God's resources is to invest in people because people are eternal. And Jesus is saying, use the resources that God has given you to be generous and to build relationship with that which matters most. And I'll tell you, I'm challenged by this because certainly there's a balance that needs to be struck. I mean, sometimes you just, you got to put a new roof on the house. You got to buy a new car. And there's this balance where, yes, we use our earthly resources to take care of the needs that we have in this, in this world. But, but God would also say, but, but as a manager of my resources, you also need to be investing in eternal things. 
And this is where that, that biblical concept of the tithe, I think, makes a lot of sense. And if you're not familiar with it, throughout Scripture, it's hard to get away from. God makes it very clear that it, when you're managing his resources, what he has given you, that he would say you should use 90% of it for your own need and, and what, you are, what you need in this world. And 10% of it needs to be invested into eternal things. That's the balance that God gives in his text. Now, this isn't a tithing sermon, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time defending that. But there's something about us that really does doesn't like it. But we forget that it's God's resources. And so when we think it's our resources, we think to ourselves, I mean, how dare God take 10% or say that we should give 10% away being generous of our resources? That's like a crazy amount. Nobody does that. But when it's God's resources, all of a sudden we say to ourselves, I can't believe God lets me keep 90% of this. And that's the biblical perspective. And I promise you, I'm not saying that so that we get a better offering this week. I'm saying that because it has to do with our hearts. And whether you're giving to a missionary or whether you're allowing a family who needs some rest and rejuvenation to, to use your, your house in the mountains or whether you're, you're helping someone in need pay for their gas or whether you're giving to a ministry that's doing great work in the Boston area around the world, all of that is taking God's resources and investing them into eternal things. In 2008, at the height of the financial crisis, right? We have to remember those days. It makes us feel a little bit better about today, right? It does, it can, it can be worse. Uh, in 2008, at the height of the financial crisis, uh, Warren Buffett, invested $5 billion of Berkshire Hathaway's money in Goldman Sachs stock. It was a bailout from Warren Buffett for Goldman Sachs. And he invested $5 billion, which is a huge amount of money, but he offered a, he got a deal where Goldman Sachs had to pay him a 10%, well, they had to pay Berkshire Hathaway, a 10% dividend every single year until they could pay the money Back. That means until they could buy their shares back, uh, Goldman Sachs now had to pay Warren Buffett and his shareholders $500 million a year. And so in 2010, Warren Buffett uh, stood at the, at the Berkshire Hathaway convention and he told the stockholders, he's like, listen to your watch. Listen to the second hand. Tick, tick, tick. He said, every, every time you hear that tick, Goldman Sachs gives us $15. And on top of that, they could buy 43.5 million more shares of Goldman Sachs stock at $115 a share, regardless of whatever the price point was when they purchased it. So in 2020, uh, they reported that, that Berkshire Hathaway's finally sold all their stock and that Goldman Sachs had, had purchased it all back. And so the deal was done. And by the time the deal was done, Berkshire Hathaway's received back over $8 billion from Goldman Sachs. And Jesus has a word for that. Shrewd. Shrewd. To come in with your $5 billion and say, we'll give you a deal. You want to go out of business? We'll give you a deal. And Jesus says, what if, what if the people of God used God's resources wisely, not to make $3 billion, but to build relationship with people 
That could lead to more people following Jesus, more people understanding the love of God, more people being welcomed into the eternal dwelling. Jesus said, what if we were, what if we were that good at doing that as followers of Jesus? He said, that's the, the model. Something exciting happened for Lori and I this week. And I'll, I'll invite our worship team forward as, I, as we close with this. On Thursday... We became an aunt and an uncle two times more. I don't even know how to say that. Like two more people entered the family. So we had six nieces and nephews, right? And now we have eight. And that's uh, a 25% increase. We're talking a lot about investing today. So there you go. We really, really increased things. And uh, it's not. What is it? Three, 33%. I shouldn't have even done it. I told you I didn't understand how it works. My wife's a CPA and now she's calling me up. All right, 33% increase. <laughs> I got to stay in my lane. So you might say to yourself, well, who had twins? No one had twins. My sister and brother-in-law, and I mentioned this briefly a couple weeks ago, they have for years and years and years um, and very specifically for the last three years uh, within the nation of Haiti, been working to adopt children. And they have been, I mean, I, I won't go into the whole story. I mean, it has been a long journey. They felt like this is something God wanted them to do. They tried all sorts of different paths. There were so many dead ends. And finally, they said about three years ago, my brother-in-law, who is a pastor in Iowa, he... Um, he has for years led annual trips to the Port-au-Prince area. And I've been there twice and Lori's been there once and, and beautiful people. And, and we had nothing but good times there, but yet, you know, the, the poverty that exists and especially, you know, I, we've been to the orphanages, the situations in the orphanages are tough. And after all those trips that my brother-in-law had made over the years, they kind of felt like, okay, we've tried all these other avenues to adopt and they've all been closed doors. Maybe God's calling us to adopt from Haiti. And it took way longer than they expected. And it cost a lot of money. But on Thursday, they flew to Port-au-Prince and Sholuten and Manelson are now a part of our family. They went from having no, I can't even imagine what this is like. They went from having no parents living in the orphanage in Haiti to being in Fort Lauderdale, Florida with parents in a hotel swimming in the pool they sent us pictures of them swimming in the pool. There's my, my, uh, um, uh, their daughter and son, Avery and Riker with their new brothers. And I look at that. I'm, I don't know. I'm so challenged by that. But my brother-in-law and my sister said, yeah, it's not our money. It's God's money. And they would say, God, what do you want us to do with our home? and with the resources that you've given us. And God very specifically said to them, this is what I want you to do. And I'm so proud of them. They've gone and they've done it. And I can't wait to see what God, God does in their family, in their lives, in our whole family, and in the lives of these two boys. You know, followers of Jesus, they use what is temporary to invest in what is eternal. And I wonder what God's calling you to do. 
It's so easy to hear it and, and kind of start to mumble and grumble. That's what the Pharisees did. And Jesus, the scripture says, all that did was reveal how much they love money. And Jesus says it very clearly at the end of the passage that you can't love God. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve them both at the same time. Either you're, you're stewarding God's resources and doing what he tells you to do, or you're, you, you love money and, and you're just using it for yourself. Those are the options. And you can't have both. Jesus says it reveals who we really serve. And I just wonder, I gotta tell you, I watch my brother and brother-in-law and sister and I'm, I'm, I'm challenged by that. I have to go back and look at myself and say, God, are we using our, our home and our resources? Is this, are we doing what you've called us to do? What might you be calling us to do? And I think a real win today from this text and this discussion would be if all of us could take a look in God's presence and say, God, where are you calling me to be generous? Could be bringing people from the neighborhood into your home. Maybe you're the only one with central air. Could be welcoming people in. Could be helping watch someone else's kids so they can work. Could be giving to the missionary. It could be giving to the ministry. There's all sorts of ways that we invest in what's eternal. But what might God be calling you to do today? God, we thank you for your word today and we're challenged by it. But we're reminded how important people are that everything else in this world fades away. And I'm also reminded, Lord, how you came from heaven to what is very temporary, this earth as Jesus Christ, and that you, you leveraged all your resources to, to, to invest in us, that we might have eternal relationship with you, that we might find forgiveness and grace at the cross. And now you ask us to go and do that for others, to help them experience the love that you have for them. And so, Lord, would you forgive me for when I hold on to the things of this world too tightly? Lord, show me how you want me to invest what you've given to us for your kingdom. Lord, as a church, help us to be good stewards of that which you've given us. pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.